Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on many popular podcast hosting sites, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blueberry SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and at www.vhha.com. You can also hear episodes of the podcast each Saturday at noon on WJFN 100.5 FM in the Richmond area. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast at vhha.com. Again, that is pcfpodcast at vhha.com. And with that, today we're pleased to be joined by Virginia State Senator Siobhan Dunavant. In addition to representing a suburban Richmond district in the Virginia General Assembly, Senator Dunavant is an OBGYN and the only physician who is presently serving in the Virginia Senate. Today we will chat with Senator Dunavant about her medical and legislative work in the time of COVID-19. But first, welcome to the program, Senator. Thank you so much for having me, Julian. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, it really is our pleasure, and we appreciate you making a few minutes for us today. So Senator Dunavant's appearance on this episode marks a bit of a first for us. It's actually the first time that we've had sibling guests on the podcast. Senator Dunavant's brother is a former House of Delegates member, Chris Stolle of Virginia Beach, who is also a physician. Chris appeared on the program a while back, so now this is a bit of a family affair, to quote Sly in the Family Stone. On the topic of family, Senator Dunavant is a member of a prominent political one in Virginia. Two of her other brothers are constitutional officers in Virginia Beach. Her brother Ken Stolle is the sheriff, and he served for many years in the Virginia Senate. And Colin Stolle is the Commonwealth's attorney in Virginia Beach. So let's start there, Senator Dunavant. What are the family ideals that are ingrained in each of you, you and your siblings, that have led so many of you to pursuing public service as sort of a a secondary or ancillary career? Well, I think we always attribute that to our parents. My father was in the military for 21 years. We moved 19 times in that time. He was very involved in our church community, and our parents told us absolutely and clearly that God had been very good to us, and he expected a lot in return, and it was not enough to complain about things. You had to be a part of the solution. And when you put those two things together, you end up getting involved in your community. I saw that your daughter, who is an upcoming law school graduate, she interned at the University of Virginia Medical Center working on the public policy side of healthcare statutory and regulatory affairs, combining the legal and medical professions that are common in your family. And as I understand it, your daughter hopes to work in-house for a hospital one day. That strikes me as sort of splitting the baby, professionally speaking, (laughs) by incorporating the legal and medical fields into her career plans. But I have to ask, because you're a physician and one of your brothers is a physician, but you have other brothers who are attorneys, who helped influence her in her formative years to choose the law rather than medicine? Well, it's funny because as all uh, bright young people do, she changed her mind many times about what she was going to do. And she really had planned to maybe do engineering and then maybe medicine and then maybe healthcare administration and landed in law when she thought that was kind of a more universal degree that she could apply to lots of different things. And so she she's always liked a little bit the medical realm, but I don't think quite enough to do what I do. And she uh, she likes working with people. So I think she's very focused on human resources in a hospital setting and policy and best practices, that kind of arena of law. 
Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. Sticking with the family theme just a moment longer, as an OBGYN, you've helped deliver and welcome many, many new babies into the world. I wonder how your patient consultations and clinical work have been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Many clinicians, as you know, have leveraged telehealth tools during social distancing to communicate with patients. But when it's time for a baby to arrive, many of those deliveries are still happening in hospitals. So, how have things changed and what's remained fairly constant for you in your practice? You know, we have transitioned to a lot of telemedicine too. And I would say I've been very fortunate to to listen really more than to work with the Hospital Association's Subcommittee on Telemedicine during this COVID crisis and situation. And telemedicine has helped us really advance medicine to use that modality where probably we should have used it before, but we'd never jumped in. For gynecology, there's a lot of things, medication follow-up on postpartum visits just to check mood and anxiety. It's a great adjunct to healthcare. So we've transitioned visits that don't need a physical exam to those home visits. For obstetrics specifically, visits that don't require a office visit for blood or something else are being done at the home and we are using kit counts for babies to make sure they're well and manifestations of hypertension to track moms if they can't do their blood pressure. But things in the hospital are very, very much the same. One big change is there's no visitors. I have to tell you, moms love it. They are with their babies and their, you know, their partners and they are able to just enjoy that quiet time and recover in peace. We still, throughout the whole COVID process, we have always had fathers present for delivery and staying there. So coming into the hospital and having a baby is very much the same, but a little bit quieter. (laughs) Well, that makes sense. I wanted to talk a little bit about your time in the Virginia Senate. You have worked on a number of important public policy initiatives, including many related to health care and health insurance and pharmaceuticals and the issue of neonatal abstinence syndrome, which occurs when a baby is born after being exposed to narcotics in the womb. One of your more recent legislative experiences came just last month when the General Assembly reconvened in April for the annual veto session to consider legislative amendments sent down by the governor. But because of the pandemic, the Senate met at the Science Museum of Virginia so everyone could stay a safe distance apart. You've had many legislative experiences over the years, but that seems like a surreal one. What was unique and unusual about that experience from your perspective? Believe it or not, the unique and unusual part of that was how normal it was. So here we were in a different setting, not on that historical floor of the Senate that we're also proud to be allowed to step on, but it's really the relationships and the interconnectivity and the conversations that happen that are so Virginian. And so it was unusual to not have easy access to the House of Delegates. That was definitely strange. But despite the fact that we were all at these separate desks, there was still constant eye contact like there is on the floor of the Senate and people going to each other and initiating conversations and working different aspects of those amendments to make sure we got the job done as efficiently and cooperatively as we could. I want to step back just for a moment for something we talked about a few minutes ago, which is telehealth. And I wanted to ask you and neglected to at that time, moving forward as we come out of this pandemic period and begin to resume life in some semblance of normal 
uh, whether that's the old normal or the new normal. Given the experiences you've had with the telehealth modalities that you talked about, how much do you think that's going to change the way that clinicians and patients interact moving forward? I hope it's going to make a big change. I think there are so many obstacles to evolving the practice of medicine. And of course, my goals are always to have high-quality medicine that's easily accessible, that results in improved outcomes for patients. I think that's what the hospitals do. That's what doctors do. That's what we do every day. And the idea that we don't have to have patients come to us is a way that we can make healthcare less expensive. Just, you know, in Medicaid alone, we pay transportation costs for patients to go to the hospital. People miss appointments because they can't get there to the hospital or the, the doctor's office. And so I think that we can actually provide better quality care, more continuity, more patient touches, and at the same time, not sacrifice quality in making sure that we know patients are responding to their blood pressure medications or doing well in other things. So I'm hoping that the result of this rapid shift in medical care out of necessity is going to create a much more rapid shift to more efficiency and better patient care. Well, thanks for sharing that perspective with us. Now that we've talked about some clinical and policy issues, I've got a few remaining questions for you that are um, a little more personal just to give folks a bit of a sense of who you are beyond the work that you do. And so the first question, Senator Donovan, is this. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given and why is it important in your life? Boy, that's a hard one off the top of my head. I think possibly the best piece of advice I've been given is to listen to others you know, always believe that you're not the center. And I translate that when I'm talking to new graduates or other people. Don't ever believe you're the smartest person in the room. Always be anxious to learn from others and listen to what they have to say because that enriches what you may or may not know and it informs you of where you are ignorant. And so I think always being open to learning in that context is probably the most important thing I've ever been taught. Well, that is good advice to appreciate and value diverse opinions and perspectives. The next question, Senator, is in the imaginary, and this is an imaginary scenario, in the imaginary hypothetical scenario that you were on death row, what would your last meal be? (laughs) Wow, that is a tough one. Favorite meal. I'm sure I would have had a lot more time to give thought to it than I am right now, but it would in all likelihood be seared scallops and asparagus, and maybe I'm really big on that ginger dressing from Japanese restaurants right now, so maybe a salad with that ginger dressing. Seared scallop sounds very tasty, (laughs) and it's approaching lunchtime as we record this. (laughs) (laughs) Typically at this point of the podcast, Senator, we would ask you to share with us one book, one album, and one movie that you would take with you to keep yourself company if you were stranded on a deserted island, which at these times might be the ultimate form of social distancing. And we'd still love to hear your picks for that. But first, during these unprecedented times, I want to know what helps you de-stress and unwind at the end of a long and hectic day. Could be a song you like to play or a good book, a mindless TV show, a walk around the neighborhood. What helps you mellow out these days? Honest to God, and this sounds so geeky, the best thing that I've found out for me to decompress is to do a 20-minute hit video and exercise. When I exhaust my body, my mind slows down. 
and it makes me proud of myself that I actually exercised that day. And it kind of pulls together that mind, body, spirit, peace of mind thing. And so that is my thing right now when I come home agitated. Okay, very good. And then finally, we'll let you offer your picks, one book, one movie, and one album that you would take with you if you were stranded to keep yourself company. Off the top of my head, the book would have to be Pride and Prejudice. Okay. I've read that multiple times, and I love it. I love the way that they actually exchange conversation that is conflicted in such a polite way. So that would be the book. The album would have to be Jimmy Buffett. So I could sing along and enjoy, and it's so cheerful and happy and makes me think of warm summer days. And as far as a movie is concerned, um, wow, that's a hard one. Um, Don't watch that many movies. I would lean towards Band of Brothers, but that's a series and it's cheating. So I'll go with something like Rudy. I want Rudy to dress in my place, Coach. He deserves it. I love that Rudy movie. It is very uplifting and inspirational. Mm -hmm. All right. So you've got Rudy, you've got Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy, and you've got Jimmy Buffett and Margaritaville. What's your go-to Jimmy Buffett song? I love Volcano. I love the original Volcano. And we used to play that on the way to school every day when I would drive carpool with the kids. I have four kids. And they know every word, and I know every word. The new Volcano is good, too, but the old Volcano is probably my favorite. Got to go with a classic. And thank you for sharing those picks. Well, mm-hmm. with that, that's going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are released. And thank you once again to our guest, State Senator and Dr. Siobhan Donovan, for joining us today. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Bye, Julian. Bye, Julian.